From Moses, the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, this is the In Her Boots podcast, a show about women cultivating the sustainable and organic agriculture movement and how she does it. My name is Lisa Kiverest, and I founded and lead the award-winning Moses In Her Boots project, providing training, resources, and support for women farmers. I'm a farmer myself, running in serendipity with my family in Wisconsin, and am the author of Soil Sisters, a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. We kick off a new In Her Boots podcast series with Rachel Armstrong of Farm Commons. Hear her inspiring story of growing up on a dairy farm to law school and seeing the need for legal education for farmers and founding the nonprofit Farm Commons. Rachel's story reminds us that there are many roles for us as women in the sustainable agricultural world and to experiment, research, and as she did, create new things that support our good food movement. Rachel is the founder and executive director of Farm Commons, a nonprofit organization that empowers farmers to understand and create their own solutions to business law challenges in an ecosystem of support. She strives to make farm law approachable and relevant to every farmer. We are kicking off a new In Her Boots podcast series with the incredibly inspiring Rachel Armstrong of Farm Commons. Thank you so much, Rachel, for joining us and sharing your your personal story and also all of that legal expertise that you do through your nonprofit Farm Commons. But we'd love to start off this first episode with more of your story because the this isn't your usual career path, right? Or uh, necessarily end destination. But what I find so inspiring about your story is you saw a need of farmers and skills in yourself and created something new that is such a resource in the legal world for small-scale farmers on the educational route that wouldn't exist without you. So first off, thank you sincerely. But Share with us, where did you start? Where did you grow up? And I know in the yeah. in the hardy Midwest here, up north, right? <laughs> exactly. Well, thank you for those kind words. It definitely does feel like um, accident and um, and luck, uh, but some of it some of it was planned. So my background has always been in farming. Um, I grew up on you know an old derelict old dairy farm in northern Minnesota, uh, where my dad had also grown up. When I was a kid, you know, people would ask me, what do you want to be? Um, I would say, I want to be a farmer. But that wasn't really a viable option. Uh, The dairy industry is dead in uh, northern Minnesota. Um, Our farm, the family farm, wasn't functional anymore. It's not like there was an operation that um, that I could take over. And I started to see... Maybe that's really not the, the the quality of life that I want. Maybe mm. farming isn't what I think it is. I should probably go do something else. Should probably get a real job. So I went to UW Madison to get my uh, my college degree. I studied wildlife ecology. The nice thing about wildlife ecology at UW Madison is it's housed in the College of Agricultural and Life Sciences. So I was still very exposed to. Um, to farming, to how humans interact with nature, which is basically through farming. That's how we use a vast majority of our land. So it was a, it was it was a huge part of 
of my degree, even though I wasn't in agriculture. And it sounds like that land stewardship ethic has always been an important part. Absolutely. It's the department Aldo Leopold founded. So that that runs runs strong. Exactly. Yeah. So I still felt at home. When I got my degree, I did take a job as a wildlife ecologist, but was pulled back immediately into farming. That's where my heart is and I think always will be. So I started doing whatever I could to integrate myself more deeply into the farming community. I worked on farms. Loved it. I worked at farmer's markets. I worked for the CSA Association. I did anything I could get my hands on in farming. All of it was great. But I started to think, wait, what's what's really going to be my niche? Where am I really going to make a difference? I was doing a little bit of marketing. I was like, I don't think that's really my skills. What should I do? So I just looked around and tried and to were, figure so you out. You weren't really considering yeah. starting a farm at the time either, right? I mean, you. Knew... I went through that phase. Oh, okay. I went through that phase. Um, is farming the right choice for me? Carpal tunnel quickly showed me that that's <laughs> not going to be my path. Um, and and ever since then, well, I I broke one wrist when I was when I was young. That's always had an effect, and then the other oh. wrist just can't seem to pick up the slack. So that was a big killer of that farm dream. And so, yeah, I mean, I did a number of things trying to figure out what was right for me. I happened on the law just be, just by looking around and saying, hmm, this seems to be a lack. I did not exactly think that through. I was like, hey, there's a need. I'm probably as good as anyone else to fill that need, so why don't I go to law school? It was only after I was admitted and you went to law school and I was in classes for about a month, there's a, a memory burned in my brain, where I got home after a class, I sat down on my couch and I said, oh, thank God, I think I like it and I think I can do it. Because <laughs> I didn't really think it through. I was just like, this is a need. I'm as good as anyone. I'll do it. Um, and thank- but you went with your gut though too. I, it, and that's, that's the other part of it, is there was a part of me that was saying, you can do this. And, and I listened to that part, even though I didn't interrogate it or, you know, I didn't even excel at the LSAT or whatever the, the things are that are supposed to tell you you're good at law school. Um, but yeah, some part of me was saying, this is a good path for you. And I just went with it. But what's really cool about your story, Rachel, though, is you with like so many people, so many women fall in love with farming and food and agriculture and experimented around, tried different things and committed to that ecosystem, if you will, mm-hmm. of farming, but exactly. there's a lot of roles we can play. Right. And I think too often people like farms, therefore they should be a farmer. Right. And maybe, but maybe not. We There's a lot of things we need for our right. agricultural system to, I was going to say succeed, succeed, but first change and then right. succeed, right? Right. So you're in law school. Where did you go to law school? University of Denver. Yeah. They were a law school that promised me that I would be, I would have skills sufficient to do something when I got out. Not necessarily just work for a law firm. Because that was, I didn't go to law school to be an attorney. I am one. But I went to law school so that I could provide resources to the farming community. And I wasn't, nothing in law school convinced me that I would gain those resources by working at a small or a large law firm. Law school's three years. So I got in and I was like, okay, I got three years to figure out how, how I'm going to achieve my goal. How am I going to bring these resources back to my community. So I will say it's the hardest I've ever worked in my life was going to law school and trying to put together farm commons at the same time. Oh, at the same time. Yeah. So Because you already had a vision, or you had a vision of what you didn't want to, of regular law. Exactly. I had a very clear goal. These resources will come back to my community. 
how I would get there. I did not know. So that's what I spent my evenings, my weekends, you know, trying to figure out, researching how do people take these tools and use them in an alternative fashion for their community. I mean, the obvious is, well, I'm an attorney. Do I just hang the proverbial shingle and wait for the clients? Well, my experience in the farming community said, yeah, that's not it's not going to do it. Um, that exists right now. If the, if the, the problem were just access, we wouldn't have a problem. So, you know, long story short, I went through a lot of iterations and, and proposals and asked a lot of peers and mentors, you know, what if I, what if I did this? What if I did that? And eventually three years later, I emerged with a plan that is farm commons today. Wow. And when was that? Like how long has it been since? Six and a half years. Six and a half years. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. huge. So yeah, it's been a fun ride. You have found so you founded Farm Commons that's a nonprofit. Yes. To provide legal education for farmers. So you're not representing per se. You could connect I mean connect yeah. people. But the point is education before you need representation, one could argue too, right? Or that's what I find so interesting about your your resources is it's the kind of things like you always wanted to ask, but didn't even know how to ask the question, right. you know, or those, right. those topics nobody really wants to talk about in the farming world of insurance and risk and liability right. and all of those things that are the realities of our world, right? Right. Yeah. So what does Farm Commons do? Farm Commons empowers farmers to understand and solve their own legal problems in a community of support. So we are an education organization, but what's deeply inherent to that is the empowerment, the ability to both understand and to create solutions. Too often, farmers and small business people of all types, this is not unique to farmers, turn to attorneys for answers. I learned in law school, we don't have them. You know, we'd, sure, sometimes we'll take your money and pretend um, <laughs> there's a solution. Not Farm Commons, we don't, you know, we don't provide legal services like that. Um, but, uh, People go to an attorney and say, well, I need a lease. Okay, what do you want in the lease? Well, you know, I, I want the things that are in the lease. The secret, the things that are in the lease are the things that you want to be in a lease. And you can have the world you want. You just have to take the time to articulate it, to come up with what that is. And an attorney is not a shortcut. I can't tell you how you should split the cost of cover crop seeds um, with the landowner on the property that you're renting. Only the farmer in question and the landowner in question know what's fair. So really, why Farm Commons exists or what we do to be effective in our work is help farmers think through those issues. We empower them to come up with their own solutions. And then, yeah, sure, at the end of the day, we want a written lease. And yes, an attorney might be involved in that. But it's the farmer that leads that process, that knows the most about what's in their lease and why and what it means for their operation. I love that term of empowerment because you're so right and it's something that I think particularly women farmers feel I don't know that we have to we're just not in control as we should be mm -hmm. and setting the stage as we should be and like you said the lease is a perfect example there's not a cookie cutter and it's your business bottom mm -hmm. line but mm -hmm. still protect yourself protect your right well protect both sides I mean it's yeah. it's, a, it's a mutual collaborative thing that I think sometimes gets shafted in today's world of just law having a, yeah. a different rap. It's yeah. a tool, right? That's what I it's see a, a lot of the things it's you do. Tool. It's a tool to help your business thrive collaboratively with others when done right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think often women business owners um, and women farmers feel, well, somebody else must have the answer here. 
there probably is an answer. But and I'm the only one who doesn't know <laughs> lawyers, it. Exactly. And they, yeah, and especially with the law. And we've been taught um, in how we deal with the law, someone else has the answers. If you just give them the money, they will bless you with them. It's really not true. Uh, and farmers and women farmers in particular don't have to sit at home thinking, I, I don't know. Someone else has the answers um, and I just need to get them. No, you do. You, you know what's right for you. Um, and you do have the power to understand this material and make conclusions and take actions that are right for your farm. And that's, that's what our resources are there to help foster. And what are some of the topics you cover at Farm Commons? I know it's a lot of free resource guides, all yeah. the information's on there. What are some of the more popular ones or key ones you think you do? Yeah. Business structures is hugely mm. popular. Should I form an LLC? Should I form a corporation? When, what, when, why, how? We got a lot of answers on that. Land matters and leasing. I brought up leasing already. Leasing is a big one. Uh, we, I think we have made a, a solid name for ourselves in farm employment law as well. Farm employment law is extremely complex. Uh, it, it can be state-specific um, in many ways. So we have a lot of good materials on that. Filling in around the edges, we have resources on sales, taxes, fence law issues for those who are concerned. Sure. Um, yeah, and a variety of other things. Food safety, of course. Um, flow charts on FISMA, food safety liability. Um, insurance is huge. Now, I don't mention insurance right away because most people don't think of insurance as a legal issue. But once you start exploring our work, you will quickly realize that the main way we manage legal risk in the United States is through insurance. So it is actually a vital legal issue for every farm. Yeah, a piece of the pie in that it's not a, yeah. a solution to, well, a solution to anything, but it's, it's like you're saying, the empowerment of understanding these issues and knowing what you need to move forward and protect right. yourself, right? right? Right. And that concept of risk is something I see in our women farmer training a challenge with, we tend to want to do everything right, do you know, buy the mm -hmm. books and cross mm -hmm. the T's and risk never goes away, right? Or right. you're never fully protected right. from anything in life, much less a business. But what's, what's your read on that, Rachel? I mean, right. how do you know when you've researched things enough to move forward or is, do you find that's different for everybody or? Right. So I think everybody does have a different tolerance for risk, and I think it is right and good to recognize our individual tolerances for risk and to become okay with that. And that is still relevant um, in terms of, of the law. Very often, there is not a single solution. There is only the solution that is acceptable to the, to the person in question. When we talk about risk, we, we talk about two things. Number one, how likely is it that that bad thing will occur? But that's not enough. We have a second question. How much is it going to hurt if that bad thing does occur? <laughs> that's so have, really true. Yeah, we got to wait. There's those. a wide level of pain. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Maybe the thing is very... And the intolerance, right? Yeah, yeah. Sure. Is it, is it likely to happen, but it's not going to hurt that much? Is it unlikely to happen, but if it does, it is really going to hurt? What's right? Well, I can't tell you... I can only, uh, you know, I can't tell you what's right for you. I can tell you this is the likelihood. Here's how bad it's going to be. I think that uh, it's also important to understand that managing risk isn't necessarily about taking one specific action. Managing risk is something that seeps into our brains. 
So sometimes people, I, sometimes I will tell people, you know, if you do this, this bad thing will happen. And they will continue to do this, but it seeps into their consciousness and has a more subtle effect on their behavior over time that has the end result of reducing that risk. There's not one, they didn't solve it, but the, the, the slow accretion of modifications is, is still a success over the long term. Sure, mm-hmm. sure. Well, that's great. All right, well, we'll delve more into these risk issues in our future episodes. Thank you. Thanks for listening to our In Her Boots podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Kiverest, with the Moses In Her Boots project. This episode's audio engineer was Liam Kiverest of TechSocket.net. The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, Moses. The mission of Moses is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on Moses, In Her Boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.